welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And don't call it another bonus episode. We have another one. (laughs) I mean, I don't even, like, they're definitely bonus episodes, but I feel like we should just be calling them regular episodes at this point with, like, special guests. I I don't know. I mean, season six has turned from like a bi-weekly podcast to a weekly podcast which I mean hopefully everyone enjoys especially because of the extra work it adds to you as our audio editor Emily (laughs) (laughs) yes I hope everyone is enjoying the content that we are um, providing them with and I think you will enjoy today's of course they will Em because we have some of our favorite guests coming on the pod as returning guests today Marianne and Cormac Wiberly, of course, you know them as showrunners of National Treasure Edge of History and screenwriters for the first two National Treasure films. They were with us not too long ago on the pod before Edge of History premiered. And now that season one has wrapped up, we are back for more. Yes. And oh my goodness, if you have any thoughts or anything about this episode really that you want to tell us about or ask us about i mean we're just so excited to be bringing this to you please go ahead and let us know on twitter and instagram at nt hunt podcast uh we're also available at nthuntpodcast.com where you can find out all the info about everything that we do um and additionally if you have not yet please go ahead and order our book national treasure hunt one step short of crazy which i'm definitely feeling like fits us correctly right now (laughs) at tuckerdspress.com yeah so this episode is particularly exciting for us to do because if you were listening to the first half of national treasure hunt season six you might recall many instances where we talked about edge of history where we literally said aloud like we have to ask the Wiberleys about this we have to ask the Wiberleys about that like we want to know more about what they were thinking here why wasn't this included why was this included things like that and this was really our opportunity to uh I don't know be true to our word yeah so what can you get from this episode Aubrey okay well we're going to find out once and for all why Sadusky was actually dismissed from the FBI before the timeline of Edge of History Season 1. You will also get a deeper understanding of the true scope of Cross S. Nostrum's influence. And perhaps my favorite thing that we learn, I don't even know, it, it could have been so uninteresting but ended up being fascinating What the heck was up with Maddox, the bearded guy? You're going to find out. That you will. So, without further ado, please welcome Marianne and Cormac Wiberly to National Treasure Hunt. You last heard from them in the off-season between seasons five and six of the National Treasure Hunt podcast when they were previewing the first season of National Treasure Edge of History. And now, with that season in the books, they are back to answer all our lingering questions about Jess, Cross S. Nostrum, and the Pan American Treasure. Marianne and Cormac Wiberly, welcome back to National Treasure Hunt. Oh, thanks for having us. Oh, gosh, we cannot be more excited. We've had so many questions to follow up with you on, and we're very grateful for your time. So I'm just going to dive right in. We are through season one. We've had time for folks to watch as it was airing. We've had time for folks to binge. And I'm sure you've been seeing so many reactions um, on social media in, you know, different critic circles, etc. And I was wondering right off the bat, has anything surprised you about how the season was received, whether by critics or even by audiences? It did surprise yes. us. Yeah, it did surprise us that, that you know, people wanted Nick. I mean, we knew they did. Well, it didn't surprise us so much, but that, that, that then they would hate it so much without him. Even, we did for, try to get him. I, I think, first of all, when we went to Comic-Con, we were surprised that there were so many fans. We had no idea. And, but then we didn't realize they were all fans of Nick. <laughs> and so 
then so we didn't we we were like oh okay so national treasure is nick cage in national treasure okay so we didn't we didn't realize that and so we didn't know that uh without him in the show people would be very upset and would feel like we somehow have killed their puppy killed their puppy we felt like we had killed their puppy we didn't mean to and, kill their and puppy. we did we definitely didn't mean we definitely didn't mean to do that we just thought we were just you know doing broadening the universe the universe of national treasure as for critic reviews i mean none of the movies ever got good reviews they were always really badly reviewed and and it's so it's basically the same with the show and and i i don't understand that um I guess the these the movies and the shows just look like it's something really easy to do, and the, the critics are like, "Well, it's too easy." Needs to what these, a slog! What a slog! These, it's these like, okay, you know. The, so, but you know, you we're just grateful that anyone watches it. <laughs> so, yeah, I know we are, and we are, we we are. It's true. I mean, if they hate it, they hate it. But um, we did also get lots of people with lot, you know, DMing us and yeah. saying very nice things also. So you'd have to just. They always tell you don't read the reviews. So that's what you kind of have to do. Yeah. No, I mean, in the age of social media, it's kind of impossible not to, even yeah. if you're avoiding it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we didn't even, we didn't even make it. And uh, when, when, when we would see uh, some of the, some of the yeah. like very negative things, we were right. just like, that, that, that is hurting me personally. Right? Oh, you're so nice. I know. I feel like it's, the, the biggest fans of the franchise i felt like yeah you guys would have yeah, a stake if a stake in it like you guys would feel like and um so anyway so thank you for feeling <laughs> feeling our pain <laughs> of course so i mean i feel like if you know you remember anything about me you know that i love riley so you know that i'm gonna ask you about the riley episode how if at all was justin involved in like the creative decision making for his scenes how did he i mean he was riley again yeah after like 15 years how did he did he talk about how he kind of fell back into the role like how did that happen you guys haven't had justin on yet yeah you guys have to have justin on next <laughs> we'd we love to yeah we'll uh, have to work that out uh, for you uh, but let's just say that it was amazing how seamlessly cormac and i were talking about this before how seamlessly he just airdropped back into being Riley. And he said, when we had dinner with him the night before, because literally when a TV show, it's like offer, hopefully he likes the script. You know, no, we didn't have any, we couldn't have any conversation. It was like really quick. And then, so when he airdropped into Baton Rouge, we had dinner um, right before he was going to start shooting, like right after he had his wardrobe fitting. And, and we ended up talking more about how, the movies affected our lives, you know, because it, he said he, it really affected him that people still and kids come up to him and talk to him about what his, how he was the favorite character or all that stuff, which, you know, it, he is like, he, he is as much as Ben Gates. He, he really captured um, hearts of people. And he said, you know, he has kids now. And so he really wanted, you know, to, to do it again. Um, so that was fun, you know, reminiscing about Jerry and John and, and all that. So we talked more about that. And it wasn't until we got on the set that we actually, you know, would talk about different things in the script. And he, he he's a very smart guy and he would have, you know, um, things that he would want to do. But I would say that the hardest thing was he brings his A game and Louisiana has terrible weather. So right when he was ready to do his Riley thing, lightning would strike and we'd have to close down the set for 30 minutes oh, no. and I can't tell you how professional this guy was because it was the big funeral day right which how many extras and and all the major players were there all the kids you know I call them kids still even though they're adults um you know looking up to this guy and he was such a leader and he you know so 30 minutes would go by we'd all go into the lunch tent wait for the 30 minutes to go by they would all be chatting about the craft and whatever. And then they'd come out 30 minutes or and then another lightning would strike. I can't remember how many times we had to wait and we were losing light and it was so stressful. And we had such a great director. Um, and we were just like, uh, and then, but uh, Justin would show up and he would just bring Riley. Like it, it was Antonio amazing. Negret. Yeah. And no, Antonio Negret. Thank you. Yeah. And it was Antonio. But you know, he, he like ad-libbed the sort of like, uh 
echo to what Ben Gates said, you know, the, the snorkel. And, yeah, and he had lived that. So no. Like that. Yeah. So he, he was like, yeah, that, that'll be funny. Do, do, do it. Imitate right. Ben. Because, uh, you know, and so he definitely had his thoughts and um, he was just a joy to work with. So we were lucky to have him. Yeah. I hope you guys get him on the show. He'll have numerous stories for you. Yeah. Oh my God. We would love to. And one of the things I would ask him about personally was him kind of going through a Ben monologue in the exact cadence of Nick Cage. Like it was, it was mind blowing to watch. And I was like, that is hilarious. That yeah. is so, and then watching him like try to do it and not be able to pull it off. Do it, was, right. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It was hilarious. And he, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. In this, in the script, all it was, was he was texting Ben to try to, you know, get some ideas right yeah that, i mean and he, he took that to the next level and it was very gracious of him because we we set his character up as someone that was like oh i can do anything i'm just as good as ben but he realizes oh man i gotta i gotta check with ben i yeah. can't figure this out on my own i got a podcast and everyone everything and he, you know, and he, he, ran, and he with ran with that and it was and it really helped and he was supposed to sort of you know arc in the room where he realizes he, he's needed as mm-hmm. much in as ben. for ben it, it doesn't matter who comes up with the idea. And that was sort of what we were trying to do with the arc. It's just you one person can't succeed without the other. And oh, he, I realizes, love that. he realizes that. Yeah, he's he's fun. And there's like, I still wish we could we could do the all the outtakes. It didn't make it in. Because at the end of the day, we had this um, edict to make our episodes like, the, the scripts were hour an hour long, but his... Um, but at the end, Disney Plus wanted them to be like four, under 44 minutes. Mm. So things got cut that were so brilliant. Like he would, he ad-libbed stuff in the airplane too, airport, like when he was going home. And he's just really funny. He's just a funny guy. Anyway. There would so, be a huge appetite for that online. Right? You could like <laughs> trickle those out. Yeah, we sure. got to trickle those in somehow. Some Riley outtakes. So let's see if we can do that. Let's put that on my list. For sure. <laughs> and speaking yes. of that episode, the whole uh, Charlotte being a dog a puppy oh I loved that that was so cute do you know there are still some people online that didn't catch the ending where it was a dog and they think they have a kid named Charlotte (laughs) oh that's so funny yeah we didn't want to mess with the movies right so we didn't want to we didn't want to like saddle him with the kid so (laughs) and it was in the very earliest draft we talked about diapers too Charlotte and diapers so it really seemed like a kid. And then it ended up being an elderly dog because we had just gone through this with our own dog with yeah. diapers. <laughs> and so we really, and then at the end we were like, well, maybe not an elderly. Let's just make it a puppy. It'll be easier. Um, but remember puppies that- Puppies are cuter. Puppies are cuter than dogs. It's like puppy it. picture. People miss that. Yeah, the puppy. Cute. Yeah. They're they're cute they're puppy. No wonder they didn't like the show. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 no. But you had me, and when it, when the Charlotte thing was first introduced, mm-hmm. I thought it was a kid, and I was like, "Oh my god, I don't know how to feel about this." What? I texted oh Aubrey, god. and I was overwhelmed with joy because I love a love story. So I texted her immediately, and like she had already like I think finished the episode, and she was just like, "Just, just, just give it a moment." <laughs> calm down (laughs) you know um okay well that that is all super fun and amazing to hear I want to turn to a little bit more serious note in terms of the themes of this season that was some themes that were explored um that were maybe a little more mature so in the first half of the season Jess's DACA status was sort of looming as a constant threat influencing her decisions really until she crosses the border into Mexico makes that really big decision what do you think prompted her to change her mind as a character in terms of, you know, it was such a concern in the first half, then she makes this this life-altering decision to leave the country. And then, of course, after making that decision, I think the DACA status kind of has a less prominent role in the storyline throughout the second half of the season. Can you talk about that at all? Well, I mean... It started with, I think you guys know, it started with, well, uh, my dad was never a, an American citizen. So it was someone going for citizenship. And and, and and then it evolved into DACA. And 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 it's because we couldn't do Ben Gates and we couldn't do someone stealing the Declaration of Independence. We have someone that has a DACA status. If you jaywalk, you're in trouble. And we wanted to show what it's like to be DACA and to know that anything she did in the first half of the, of the season 
could get her in deported. And the re yeah. And then the reason she changes her tune is only because she realizes it has this big family connection. So once she's crossed the border, she's crossed the border. And now she's yeah. she's already burned that bridge in her mind. And now her quest is to 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 you know obviously clear her clear her mom's name or clear the family name or whatever all this sort of national treasure stuff that we do um and i don't know that when she's you know dying with her father that she's thinking about american citizenship at that time so none of that's in her in her head anymore after she crosses the border because and and even like when she goes into graceland at some on some level because she's She's, she's now just it. like so driven to figure out this family mystery. Who am I becomes more important than Zaka. So, and that in our mind, when she went into Graceland, that's that's as important to her as Ben stealing the Declaration of Independence. Mm -hmm. If she goes into Graceland and she gets caught at Graceland, she's out. And she's she has nothing in in, in Mexico. She did she doesn't know she has no family, she has no friends, she has nothing. So that's a huge risk. That was a big sort of crisis point for her to jump into. And we always felt like that was a crisis point for Ben when he stole the Declaration of Independence. There's no going back from that. Um, there's no going back to his previous life. But once yeah. he stole it, but yeah. she never, uh, you know, obviously she didn't get caught like Ben did or, or you know, yeah. have Sadusky on her trail. And, and, and we did not sweep DACA aside, just so you know. We did want to end the, the season we had talked about ending the season with her getting because we had done all this research on citizenship and yeah. the, the special there's a special um uh law yeah that you can get if you've like done something heroic or if you're a genius or if you've done oh. you can get citizenship um but it just felt at the end of the day it, it just felt wrong to give it to her you know it just we didn't know we like we we asked all the latina you know, we asked the both community, we were like, should we do this? And, and a lot of the Latinx community, and by the way, we got in big trouble for using Latinx from some people. They're like, as soon as they said Latinx, I'm out. Like they call themselves Latina and Latino. It's like, we were just doing what we were told that we were supposed to say. Like I use Latinx, I use Latina because I'm Latina. I use that. I use it all. I just like whatever, uh, you know, we didn't mean anything by it, but we got <laughs> people like got so mad at us. As soon as they said Latinx, I'm out. Um, but anyway, so we talked to people and we were like, what, you know, some of the um, Latina Latinos in our, in our writer's room were like, um, no, I would take it in a second. I would take citizenship in a second. Mm -hmm. So I think we should end so with her getting citizenship. We struggled with that thing of like, do you get to jump to the front of the, end of the line and get citizenship versus all these people that have been waiting in line? Is that fair? So we kind of didn't know what to do, um, whether to give it to her and and go oh yeah she gets to jump the line because she you know had this special thing because it really was like can we can we inspire people with daca and and we we, we felt like we were holding up something that was false for them to get uh, the, the dreamers to get citizenship at the end of the day yeah and we really wrestled with it but then again you think if we get a season two knock on wood um that's something we can continue to explore now okay that was yeah, going to be a follow-up question. <laughs> it, yeah, especially because I'm thinking of like the the kind of the final, right, like scene where they're, you know, uh, in in the basically like the the museum gallery where everything is being shown, all of her mother's work and stuff like that. Like, obviously, they, you know, they're ready to jump back into, you know, the next thing. Hopefully, you know, with with a season two. But it kind of struck me like oh well we also then would have time to potentially you know explore you know what her status is mm -hmm. you know now or like if she made it back into the country how did she make it back into the country and like that that kind of thing right yeah 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 i, yeah, yeah. I mean obviously when when um liam comes back with that knowledge you know and says hey you you don't get any response out of just just an enigmatic look because what's going through her head is like i don't have citizenship what is this next thing going to do to me so you know i barely got through it this one, <laughs> skin on my teeth so there's no like 
yeah, let's go jump into the next adventure right now in, in her head and in, in our mind. You can, yeah, you can play it both ways, definitely. Yeah. yeah, in our mind, exactly what Cormac's saying. It was, it was, I it, like that. Her original ending was literally was her at the citizenship, you know, this flag that she's at the, the, the apartment, you know, the, with all the immigrants, they were all taking their tests and she's, she's correcting what she was correcting the answers on the citizenship test because she knew more then oh, like wow. January, July 4th wasn't actually the day of, you know, things like that. Like she knew the truth because she was so smart, but we ended up jettisoning that idea. But anyway. That's <laughs> cute though. <laughs> no, I, I, I really like the, uh, I, Cormac, I think you were the one that said it kind of just the, the, the like onus that you felt to kind of like represent this, yeah. you know, in, in a realistic mm-hmm. way, uh, mm-hmm. which which is really cool. Um, so kind of switching gears still, we're still on some serious stuff, but like a little lighter. Um, Agent Hendrix, just uh, when did you get the idea to give him like an original character such a massive and kind of like bad guy, basically like role in the show and did you was it always him or did you like think oh maybe you know it could be this minor character or something like that or was it like Hendrix it was always Hendrix except for we were worried that Armando Riesco might not have wanted to do it so we had thought about is it Mark Pellegrino it's Pellegrino Mm -hmm. yeah so but he always plays a bad guy so it was like he might have been but we never really considered that we just always considered Armando and we like Catherine Zeta Jones. We had to go to him and sell him on it because he didn't really have. Uh, he wasn't like he might have done it, but he wasn't like really interested in just being an Easter egg. Mm-hmm. Like everybody loves that scene, and that's why Cormac and I were like, we got to do. It was Marianne's idea, and it and it literally comes from that moment when he's. Now, do you take it as a credible? Well, well, the guy that got the report didn't report it so maybe he so wanted... maybe he didn't want to report it because he wanted ian to steal it and that's such a like yeah we can run with that because he never want he was on ian's side so if he reports it ian's not going to be able to steal it whether ben gates ben gates is saying someone's coming to steal the declaration of pendants this guy's going to block it at the fbi mm-hmm. and he's going to make sure ian has an open road to get it so we were like, that's great. And from then on, that's what he's doing at the FBI. He's making sure that all these crazy reports are just swept under the rug yeah. and allowing the Mitch Wilkinsons and the, these sort of things to go on in the background because they he's the man inside. Yeah. And so it, it all just sort of clicked when Marion said, it's like, oh, yeah, for sure. That, that all makes sense. It made sense to us. The only problem was he was a little young to be Salazar right. in 2007, but we just ran with it. It was just like, it was too much fun, you know? Yeah. And we had wanted to shave him. That might've been the thing that made him Salazar. <laughs> it might, yeah, you can look at it that way for sure. Um, but the idea was we were going to shave Armando. Um, so he looked younger, but he was like, it takes, and it was like in between like the way it wasn't gonna work because we still needed him to have the beard and something that we were shooting later so he couldn't shave gotcha without putting a fake beard on him and that would have looked bad um so um but anyways he would have been shaved in that scene when he kills Raphael and um and billy's brother Um, gotcha yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) so that's like part of my question because i think you know we you can do the math i know lots of viewers online have done the math and so if Raphael saw salazar kill Sebastian before Raphael himself disappears quote-unquote around 2001 that means Hendrix was Salazar by the time of the storyline of the first film and so I think so many people online are wondering like how how does this change what we know and love or like how should this change our conception of our understanding of national treasure so it sounds like Salazar's goal in working for the FBI or Hendrix's goal in, in working for the FBI 
was to, like you said, be an inside man, keep the ear to the ground, kind of keep a pulse on things that would benefit Crossas Nostrum to know about. Um, we were wondering, you know, was he also kind of keeping tabs on and getting information from Agent Sadusky, who is someone that I'm sure he knew in advance, or at least became very well aware of, was a really high-ranking Freemason, right? Like, was that part of the goal for him as well? Absolutely. I mean, when and that's why he's his best friend, like hanging, visiting him. Go ahead. I mean, you, you look at Cibola and, and Marianne and I kept looking for the scene because there's a scene where, where Sadusky secrets out uh, something covered at Cibola, which turns out to be the clue that he hands to his son and, and sends him on the horrible path of death, and which affects Liam and, and destroys Sadusky. And that is what that's what Hendrix would knew about. He'd he'd gotten a whiff of it, and that's why they were watching Sadusky constantly because they know he secreted this thing out of Cibola. We know he has the clue, and that's 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 when uh, Billy became very aware and was was assigned sort of like keep an eye on Sadusky because he has this clue from Cibola. And I don't know if any of that. Can we be. have that clip. I just don't know if we're ever, I mean, I can send it to you guys. We have the clip where the president. Did we find it? Yeah, it's, it, yes, we have the clip. So I can send so it to you guys. So you can it. Um, I don't know if Disney would approve for you guys to release I was going to say, we don't even need to, like, obviously, if we were allowed to, we would share Apple, it. But, like, yeah, but we, no, would love it, it. we would also just love to see it just for yeah, ourselves. Yeah, we, we, we will send it to you. That we, we, um, we were going to use it in the show. We were going to use it in the show, and then we ended up. This is why Marianne and I, having too much knowledge, have all this backstory built up that never really like. In it, our head, it was in the movie. It, it was in. The it's movie. like because you see all the cuts and it gets mixed up and it was in the script and it was like, but then it and then it, it was like it and never. I texting John. Did is this in the movie? And it's like those dendrites died years ago. Like that's from two thousand and seven. <laughs> Come on. I will send it to you though. I'm writing a note. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. I, I That's one of the scenes, as, as Marianne knows, that's one of the scenes that we read in that in the novel version of National Treasure 2 that blew our minds and made all of this come together so much more. And so you've also said that, you know, of course, now the, the interpretation is that Ian um, is affiliated in some way with Cross S. Nostrum himself. Should we be considering that canon now? Like, is that part of this universe or because it was never referenced directly in the show are we still supposed to leave that up to interpretation and then relatedly is there a connection with mitch and cross s nostrum or is that a little too separate i would say both of them i i would say ian would be sure. more in line because he, he says dude i've got the connections he says it to ben gates and that's cross s nostrum when he's talking to him i've got I've got friends in low places. I can get this taken care of. I can steal the Declaration of Independence. And Ben, Ben, you know, freaks out about that. Well, he's talking about this thing that he has access to. Whereas Mitch, we kind of feel like he got slipped the information. We're just yeah. going to let this guy run. And then and then we're going to deal with him at the end because he did have he did have the heritage of it. So they kind of slipped in the information. They had the booth diary thing to give it to him. And you go, you go confront them. So gotcha. he really wasn't, in our minds, working for Cross S. Nostrum as, as much as Ian was definitely part of it. Okay, got it. That makes gotcha. a lot of sense. I think that accords with sort of what we were thinking a little bit. Um, and so that's all what the ending of season one of Edge of History means for National Treasure, the story. But I think what fewer people are talking about and something that we've pondered about on our podcast is what the beginning the very opening of season one of the show actually means. So what we mean here is that we learn Agent Sadusky was forced out of the FBI in 2007 after his son Jack died, which would have also been soon after the discovery of Cibola. So why should we believe as the viewing audience that Sadusky was forced out of the FBI? I mean, we've thought of multiple possible interpretations here, um, like you could get him event, uh, in trouble finally for like the way he's handled Ben's cases or finally <laughs> be because he took artifacts, right? The ones that end up in his clue room or there's the dementia angle, though I'll be honest, I'm not personally convinced he had dementia. So like, 
why is there a, like a solid reason why from your perspective he was dismissed from the fbi yeah it's the i would say i mean what marianne and i always thought what what happened was he got the clue from cibola he gave it to his son knowing how urgent it was and he was he was an older man he can't go on this adventure but his son just came out of the military he's a war hero he's a guy that can do all the stuff and it 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 got his son killed and destroyed his whole family where Liam blamed him for his and so he kind of fell into a depression and and started drinking and it wasn't really dementia um as much as his to lose your son over something you thought was a noble quest and whatever it really challenged everything that he believed in and it sort of destroyed him in our in our minds and like like uh Hendrick says he became a broken man uh, and you know it's all such a great noble quest until someone you love dearly dies and it's and you feel like it's your fault that he's dead and and so you are correct I think you said I heard you say yeah, he doesn't really have dementia, does he? Like, it's more like he still has these secrets and maybe they got a little, like like Cormac's saying, he's has now like different feelings about it, but he does remember and he and he just he's just broken in another way, you know, broken gotcha. emotionally. So, you know, Liam, Liam was with his father in the Garden of Eden. He was happy as can be. And then suddenly he loses his father and he realizes his grandfather is to blame for it. He never wants to speak to him again. So that break in the family was the thing that, you know, that's what Sadowski wanted so badly was to make contact with Liam again. He just needed forgiveness from Liam and Liam doesn't give him the forgiveness until the, the, funeral. the funeral. Yeah. And he oh. finally realizes that he made a mistake. He made a mistake. So, th I mean, that's what we were intending Okay, so it's kind of like almost because if we're going with like the depression kind of, you know, uh, what you were saying, Cormac, it's kind of like he he got depressed. He like lost interest in his work, stopped doing like such a great job. And maybe like it was less that he was like forced out of the FBI or maybe he like kind of like knew it was coming, like chose to leave type thing because of the way that he felt and just because like his personal life was you know falling apart type thing I, yeah i mean you, you you kind of see him like losing his mind and but not in dementia you kind of like the conversation sort of it, like he's these people killed my son it just became it ruined his family and then he started looking into cross Nostra and figuring it out with that book it's like mm -hmm. it just became a weird obsession for him and he just wasn't the same um he wasn't the same agent and maybe he started drinking a little yeah bit. Yeah. yeah i mean yeah. He, yeah. he probably was drinking very hard and he was probably just like obsessed with this process now so I mean, he probably was in denial it's just, just a lot of emotion you would sound pretty crazy and, if you believed in the process now and then and then trying to get liam back at the end um you know is his only hope yeah now that i i love that clarity um it answers a lot of questions like i said that we've had it's it's super helpful um and i want to start moving us slightly in the direction of understanding cross nostrum a little bit better um but before we ask you a little bit about this nefarious organization's motives i just want to ask you maybe this is a quick question maybe it's not i can imagine that as you're creating 10 episodes of this season you know what's coming and you want to make it make sense when you get to the reveal that agent hendrix is salazar but you also don't really want anyone to pick up on it until the moment you drop the knowledge right so I think you did it so successfully personally, like there's looking back the weird moments of, you know, when uh, Hendrix is watching the that scene on the TV and says the world is falling apart and it's Notre Dame Cathedral and all of that. And it's, it's a throwaway moment that you don't take into consideration until you get the reveal. So there are things like that that make the reveal super logical. But I've got to wonder, were there any moments or scenes from earlier in the season that made you like, 
take a minute and be like, oh my gosh, did we give it away right there? The, it's so funny you should ask that because we didn't tell anybody. Nobody knew, not even Lyndon, uh, Agent Ross. And she, she, when she read the scene, when she found out that he was Agent, he was Salazar, she was like, I had dinner with this man <laughs> and he never told me. I can't believe he, he fooled me this whole time. But we were worried because his very first scene, he's dismissing her theories and he's being, but we were hoping that would be taken in a chauvinist sexism yeah. sort of that's way. how I took it <laughs> yeah so that people wouldn't figure it out but I did see one smart person on Twitter like figure it out like right away he's a bad guy I don't know if they said he's Salazar but somebody one gal and I was like oh she's so smart if I were you know on on social media I would yeah I mean <laughs> to go back maybe we we should have played him more avuncular um and so that he was just more of a someone that actually was really because we did want part of him to feel like he was really trying to help her yeah uh, and he was trying to help her in a, in a maybe he's a goofy chauvinist but he tried. he he tried to do it at, so the audience was supposed to feel like he's trying to steer her in the right direction but really he's just yeah. steering all the wrong paths I mean, I got that vibe personally. I was like, oh, I'm seeing a definite parallel between him and his career and Agent Ross and her career. So he okay. is extra cautious and maybe he's even second guessing himself. And that's why he's going back and forth with her. Okay. That's yeah. how it came across in the watch. Right. And then once you get the reveal, you can go back and question like, oh, yeah, or okay. not. <laughs> good. 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 Yeah, that was tough. It was a tightrope. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you, you, you tricked us we it was it, <laughs> we did not know <laughs> that is that means so much to us as the, as the two biggest fans of the franchise <laughs> <laughs> okay so Aubrey alluded to wanting to kind of get at you know cross s nostrum a bit so the the motive of cross s nostrum being like keeping the status quo in society is significantly different <laughs> from the motive of like a traditional villain especially those that we've seen in the franchise so their motives tend to be like wealth or fame or you know clearing their family's name if you're thinking about mitch but crosses nostrum's motive feels incredibly timely um so we were just kind of wondering what inspired your choice of crosses nostrum's motivations um well First of all, we did, you, when you have to, you know, um, Jerry Bruckheimer always says it can't just be about the money. So it all, like, that's why in, in the National Treasure one, it was about clearing the family name. And so, so in this one, we were like, we're looking at our villain and it's so easy to make them go after the money. But when we had to pitch to Catherine Zeta-Jones, we knew we couldn't pitch, oh, you're just an antiquities dealer and you're going to, you're going to get rich off of this. She, she didn't want to hear that. You know, she wanted to hear something smarter than that. So, first of all, everyone asks us, what the hell is on page 47? And so, Marianne and I are like, we need to answer that. In and case just, there's, in Because case. they've been trying to write this movie script for, for 100 years now. They're going to dig up the first script in, in, as the treasure of the <laughs> in, in National Treasure 3. But they, we're, we were trying to like, let's just take this off their plate. Because... It's let's make process Noster what was on page 47. Let's make this overarching thing that was this shadow government. Can you expose them, Ben Gates? It, obviously, we, they said, no, you can't do that. We're going to use it for, for the feature, which is great. We're, yeah. we're happy we, that they're going to do it. Sure. But do we thought this was, a, we, know, we, did, we just don't know. So but we were trying to, trying we're, to. We're trying to help. <laughs> Um, and so when someone came up with the idea of destroying the treasure, it's like, oh, that's the perfect answer. Like, have I ever seen a treasure hunt uh, where they want to destroy the treasure? So, and because what was going on at the time, at the time, politically, now, yeah. uh, at the time is like, it's, it was, it seemed very timely to us. Yeah. So, it was such a good idea. And uh, do we, do we say his yeah. name, Dwayne, Dwayne Worrell? He was a, one of the writers in our room and he worked with us on Black Samurai. He wrote The Wall with Aaron Taylor Johnson, uh, directed by Doug Lehman. That was like his first screenplay that he ever sold. He entered an Amazon contest and won. And but, that, while he was teaching English in China. He, he's a, very so interesting. Cool. He, yeah, he's, he's a very cool guy. And, and, and he's very quiet, but he'll go, but what about, and 
and it and so he came up with Gracias Nostrum. I think he kind of like Google translated Gracias Nostrum, and it went through the the mill of like all the experts, Latin ex- experts, and it and it came back that yeah, Gracias Nostrum, because <laughs> everything else didn't sound so nefarious. And it's yeah. like Gracias Nostrum sounds really... that sounds pretty nefarious. Let's just go with it. But he was the one. He said, you know, I have this, I have this vision, and. And the treasure hunt, and this thing is burning behind. That's how he pitches. And this thing is burning behind him. And then he realizes it's the tomb of Nefertiti's burning behind. And we were like, oh my gosh, that's such a good idea. Like, and so that we tried, we tried so hard to get that to be page 47 because we just weren't sure about National Treasure 3 happening. But, now, uh, but then they were like, no, Jerry was like, no, National Treasure 3 is going to happen. So let's just, this is a good idea. Do it. But it's yeah. not going to be page 47. So that's that's how it came about and yeah i'm so glad you guys like it because you know he's working on um fire country now Dwayne. he he works a lot he's um okay. he's, yeah he's a good guy he's smart wow awesome. yeah no no thank you for that kind of insight because i as soon as you said it you know we it's not something we expect to come from a treasure hunt certainly not from the person like any of the people that are looking for the treasure, you don't expect them to want to destroy it. So I was kind of like, huh, that's new. Yeah. And then when you hear the the motivation behind it, it, it makes it makes sense in a sad, like unfortunate yeah. way, but it but it makes sense. Um so I think something in addition to because we were just fascinated with Crosses Nostrum in general as a society. So we were kind of looking at the way that it was structured, um, especially after we saw Billy report to a boardroom of older white men midway through uh-huh. this season. Um, we were wondering if you could tell us, um, like, who should we believe that these men in the boardroom, like, were? Do they pick Salazar? And, like, what is... Billy's relationship with the board because she she said some things that you know made it sound like she had a little bit of leverage over them but it it was yeah <laughs> we wanted if and you know we wanted to be of course Salazar would normally be at that meeting yeah. um that's how we would you know he's the evil boardroom leader but you can't put him in there without spoiling the surprise yes. so we're always like well Salazar's too busy to be here in this in this boardroom. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, imagine all the richest people in part of this shadow government. Um, the, that's what it that's who those um, board members were. And she's just like she's so good at what she does that they they she has power over them because of that. Um, the, the boardroom meeting was a lot longer. It got cut down to what it is. And, you know, th- these guys were were worried about they have, you know, investments in, in oil in South America. They can't have something going on over there um, right now like this. Um, so there was a lot more of, of politics. Could, uh, politics and economics across global economics that we can't have this sort of stuff going on right now. I have a billion, couple billion dollars invested over here. Yeah, we can't so, have social unrest. So we just, it's got trimmed down to, I think nobody has any lines. They kind of look at her for a moment <laughs> and somebody at the head of the table says something. But was there, was, there was a, a much longer version of that before the before she drops the knowledge on her. But yeah, so you can understand that's, that's you, that you're right, Cormac, you reminded me that 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 was the, the we're showing why they are across this nostrum is because why do they want the status quo? Because they don't want anybody coming after their land where they're drilling oil. Right. They, that's, you know, that, that's why they got to keep those secrets buried, uh, you know, so um, money, money, money. That makes so much sense. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I feel like I have to, I have to like chew on this in my brain now because there were, we were like thinking of all different reasons um, that, and that I think others might be thinking about as well. We, fun fact, we are planning a whole episode in the future on Carasas Nostrum and like oh, yeah. the implications <laughs> for that and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, no. uh, I digress because we're, I know we have to start wrapping up. We can't take your whole day away from you, unfortunately, although as always we would, if we could, mm-hmm. um, before we start wrapping up with sort of our final thoughts, I have one random question for you. What was up with Maddox, the gray haired guy? Okay. <laughs> So Maddox, Maddox, 
is we always envision, and again, his story got cut out, but I don't know if you remember that museum that got, that burned down in um, Argentina, like a few years ago, yeah. this beautiful museum filled with artifacts. We always envisioned him being the curator of that museum. And he maybe had, um, him and Billy maybe had a relationship and she was trying to infiltrate, you know, and she, and her Cross's Nostrum was responsible for that fire and burned all those artifacts and oh. it ruined him. It wrecked him to know that the woman that he was in love with, you know, did this to him and that she was part of this evil. And so he's trying, it broke him. He became insane to stop her. He wanted to stop her from doing it again. So when he found out that Jess was so smart and was going to figure it out, he wanted to stop Jess because he knew Billy was going to use Jess to get to the treasure. So that's why he was like, you can't get to the well, treasure. Even at that point, he doesn't know if Jess is working with Billy or not. Yeah. He just doesn't know. He doesn't know. Or, or is she being used? So he doesn't really, he, he has to stop Billy from getting that treasure. He just wants it to stay buried. Yeah. He doesn't want anything else to get destroyed. And I'm so sad that that didn't make it in because it was such a juicy. Um, and again, it's like he was such a fun character. The bearded man. Who's this yeah. man? You know, anyway. Oh, my um, gosh. Well, now everyone will know. And also, yes. I just have to say really quick, Emily, aren't you glad we asked now? Because she <laughs> yeah. behind the scenes, she was like, we don't have time to ask this. Is this not, 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 a, not that big of a deal? I was like, no, it's bothering me. I need to know. <laughs> no, I'm fascinated now. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, that fire is so sad. That's so sad. They have like virtual visits of the museum still online which is almost even sadder because you can see everything that got destroyed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, on a much lighter note, <laughs> before our two wrap up questions, you know that we love a speed round here on national treasure hunt. And so we tweaked our old speed round since you've already done that one. And right. we have new speed round questions for you. If you're game. Yes. Okay. What was your favorite edge of history clue so far? I, for me, I liked um, the Elvis Presley clue. The, I mean, yeah, the dove. I, yeah, the dove, the dove born in peace. That that one was, that one was fun. And in the gold record, you know, it's just okay. fun. To, a gold record as a clue in national treasure just felt so much like the Declaration of Independence, but cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> television budget. <laughs> Amazing. Um. Okay favorite edge of history character not actor we're not making you pick your favorite like colleague or like person to work with but the character i mean yeah i mean billy was just so <laughs> Carmack just said billy she's juicy she really is juicy i mean because you want to say every kid all the the main five but that's like the, yeah they're all great but um yeah orin orin for sure yeah for orin sure. is like our new riley so it was yeah. fun yeah. Oh, really yeah. Yeah. We adored him. Yes. Oren <laughs> was my fave. Yeah. Um, what is one prop you would have liked to steal from the Edge of History set? I mean, the gold record. I would the gold steal. record. Cormac <laughs> would steal, I would the, steal the, the guitar. The he would steal the dub guitar <laughs> because he's a guitarist. So he would steal that. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. when the guitar broke, he almost went, you know, the Graceland story when the guitar broke and, and Liam and, uh, and um, sorry, Jake had to like, add, you know, anyway, Carmack ran home to our apartment to go get his guitar in case we needed another backup guitar because I love we didn't that. know where we were going to get the guitar anyway. So Always. I loved that story, by the way. That was like, <laughs> that blew my mind. Yeah, crazy. Was when he's this amazing singer and yeah, he's talented. So one of the big, big, visual differences and story differences between the movies and this show is that there are a lot of bodies piling up by the end of this season so did you have a favorite edge of history character death well the fake death of ross of course is my favorite but i did love um i you can answer too but i loved it i mean i love greta wool and i love casey and it was i just love the the bromance between her and Billy and, and how bonded they were. And a lot of that backstory had gotten deleted. Mm -hmm. um, so um, the way that um, she became almost a daughter to her, but then Catherine's too young for her to be her daughter. So then they just became, you yeah. know, co colleagues. 
somehow yeah. we ran out of time on on these death scenes because Dustin's death. Oh um, God, I forgot with, about that. With Liam, with th- these we people hated each other, you know, an episode ago, and they have completely bonded. No, you're right. That and we never, we didn't capture what we tried to do was Liam needed to like really mourn Dustin's death because this guy really did try to you know get Liam out of the the hole he was in and sacrificed his life doing it and they had bonded by then and it was it was just sad that we just he just grabbed the book and jumped out the window where he it needed to affect him more and that it always was an important death I I forgot about that one I don't know how I forgot but that that is our favorite that you're right and originally in the script we they were driving away together and he didn't know he had been shot and so they have a longer scene driving, um, talking about Sadusky and what he meant to them, and 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 Liam not realizing that that um, Miles was bleeding out. And so we had longer to to deal with that. And then yeah. did- this is the thing you find out in TV is you just don't have long enough to to you know dwell on these things. When and even with Raphael's death, it was too quick. It's just like Raphael and and what Jess should have gone through and she did a great job um Lissette did a great job on it it's just you don't have time in tv (laughs) right or or just for whatever reason they trimming the show down but those moments need to breathe yeah Um, so yeah it's sad we can't use maybe his twin if we get a scene yeah I know he's so good because Dustin yes please yeah. yeah, we love him. We we yeah, love him. So We've good. talked to him. We are yeah. we are now friends with him. So yeah, yeah that yes. that would be amazing if you could just yeah, he's great. Work that in there. Okay, yeah. well, you've already said that you thought that um, Casey was a fantastic henchwoman, and we agree. Um, would you say she is your favorite hench person from the franchise as a whole? Does she I stack mean, up with the Shaws of the world? Yeah, the Shaw. I was going to say, who do we have to compete with, Shaw? Didn't he, didn't he fall down at, at the? Uh, oh yeah, he did. He did. <laughs> his death. So he always killed the henchman. You know, it's, and, and, and I think it, it would be Rita. I mean, it would be Casey. Just because you get in TV, you get to spend more time with them. Yeah. Like he doesn't get to spend that much time with Shaw, although he has his funny scenes. Um, it's just like we got to do a lot with Casey, and she was always there, and she was. Yeah, she. Was you great. know, she and she was. Uh, like we said, there was a lot more love between. Yeah. her and uh, yeah. Billy by so, far so there was a lot more it was hard to kill her but it was the thing that was needed to make Billy go insane and yeah like, yeah absolutely um it's so funny you mentioned not having enough time with like the henchmen for example in the movies when we learned from the novel the National Treasure new no- two novel that Mitch's henchmen were his brothers our brains exploded. We were like, what? <laughs> they were his brothers the whole time? <laughs> oh, wow. We, that's, I, I, I don't know. remember that. I, I guess they took the script. <laughs> I didn't even know there was a novel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How close but, is it to the script? I mean, you guys have read They books, must have so. taken one of the... They, I think they used It was script. very like, close. Okay. Yeah. It was very close to the final filming script, although between the two together, I think it adds a lot more detail because... You know, for example, in the novel, you see a lot more of what Ben and Abigail are thinking, right? Mm-hmm. As it's like expository, whereas you can't really, you don't really see what they're thinking in a movie per se. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so it was, it was really interesting from that regard. Um, okay, two more speed round questions. Yes. If, if you were the president and you had to hide a secret book, where would you hide it? Oh my we already God. did Library of Congress. That's yeah, where but where else would you hide it? behind the door to hold the door open i would hide it i think i've said this to you before but in the tomb the tomb of the unknown soldier or someplace that's excellent i i don't know i i I would ask you guys i mean we had it hidden in a weird you just hide it in plain sight very you know sherlock just put the book where would you hide it you guys know all the secrets of washington dc yeah I wish we knew all the secrets of Washington, D.C. I don't know. I like the idea of it being in plain sight as well. I was thinking like um, if if it in if in the, the movie storyline itself, like the book was a prop or like a fictitious thing from another fictional franchise. And then it was like in a museum with props from that movie or something. But it was actually the real thing the whole time. Oh, that's fine. You know, yeah. um, just super yeah. meta. 
that's funny. That's really funny. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. and my my last question for y'all, like, what's on page forty seven? We already tried to answer that. <laughs> I know, but like, you use that one for the show, so I'm not I know. sure. I, we don't know. Uh, I don't want to say we met with the writer that's writing uh, three, three right now. Uh, He's a good friend of ours, and it's in really good hands. I don't know if we can okay. say the name. We just reminded him. And we we reminded him that it has to be life altering, and he was like, "Thanks a lot." <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we did note the orange dye forty seven. Oh, that little nod. Yeah, thank you. Loved that. It was cute. Okay, so as we wrap up here, we know that you are not directly involved in National Treasure 3 at this time in, in sort of a more formal way, but are there any updates um, that you can give us about its status? It sounds like you said yeah. we're in writing phase. I think I think we just did. We, yeah. new we have a new writer that is a good, a very established, established writer that is... Uh, it's in very good hands. Um, we had in lunch, the Bruckheimer world. In the Bruckheimer world. We had lunch with him. We talked about the, the project. He has very good ideas. He knows the tone of the show uh, very well. So I think it's in, in the, in the I think it's in the best uh, of the franchise. What I'm yeah. Saying, of the movies. Um, so, yeah, it's in, the, it's in the right hands. Okay. And awesome. I mean, you should have a script soon. I mean, he's, he got hired a few weeks ago. So hopefully it'll mm. get done soon. Mm. yeah well speaking of things that we hope will be done announced soon that was a poor transition but i tried um (laughs) season two of edge of history is something that we all want um and we are hoping to hear positive things about what is one teaser about what you might like to explore in a season two of Edge of History? Okay, well, first of all, we're supposed to find out any minute, like, if we are or not. So okay. uh, they said mid-March, so we're still waiting. Um, so if it doesn't happen, we're just glad that we had a fully closed season one, mm-hmm. you know, even though we did hint at the end, but at least we found the trick. I mean, we could have we could have done an Outer Banks and not find something. I don't, you know, and wait and just, you know, put our money on black and just hope that, you know, we got to see. I think they don't find it in season one, right? In Outer Banks, or I, I'm, I'm sorry, I should say Yellow Jackets. They don't, you don't find out like the secret in the end mm-hmm. of season one in some of these shows. They really, they they roll the dice and hope for a season two, you know. Yeah. And then like I hated the way Santa Clarita Diet ended after three because it was so set up for a beautiful season four and then they canceled it um so if that happens then we can say that on your show (laughs) but if if they do order us i mean we really we did you know the north uh east we did the founding fathers we did the south now with this and latin america and uh, south america and we really we really do want to go west and we also want to go international so if we get a season two we would, you know, carry the storylines of the five main characters, um, and uh, you know, what 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 happens to them when they find a treasure? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? You know, there's like there's different things that you can can affect your life, and uh, Cormac always uses the what did you say it the Batman example? What was what was your Batman example that you always say? People always say, oh, they're rich and whatever, and it's like, well, Jerry, first of all, Jerry doesn't like. When we'd end the movie, he doesn't want to hint that there's another movie. That's just not something that Jerry likes to do. That he likes to do. So, but in TV, when they're like, "No, you got to, you got to hint that there's another season," we're like, "But we just want to close this season because the next season, normally, your characters impacted negatively on what positively they did." So I always say, like in in Dark Knight, he becomes a, a a. what are they a vigilante a vigilante and then Everybody. you open the next show with all these vigilantes so it's sort of like this isn't what i meant and it's starting to, it's impacting and it's like in oh my god way. in a negative way what i did is now becoming so you know you have, to, a, it you have to look at it that way you have to look at it like how did this first step first series impact our hero and so that she has sort of this ghost that she has to chase in the second series out of it. I, I don't know that we have the answer. Um, but like, in, for instance, in in two, in National Treasure 2, Jerry said, I want to reset the characters. I want to start them, even though they're rich now, how do we reset them so that it's, you know, sort of like 
And so you do, you reset them. Riley has a big tax burden and it's, he's not, well, life isn't all good, you know, for him. And then uh, Ben finds out there's another family, her fluffle that he has to. So well, you kinda... It was the redemption of Ben's family in one where he wanted to save his family. And in two, you start him in this nice equilibrium where our family's a hero. We're giving a presentation. Look how awesome we are. All gets taken away. So what happened in one is now an equilibrium that he's chasing. Can I get back to being a hero? Cause I'm not a hero anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so, so you have to do that, but you know, that's, what am I saying that for? That's 35% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> That's no treasure too. I have to say, <laughs> I have gained such, uh, so much stronger of an appreciation for the second movie after doing the deep dives and trying to understand the nooks and crannies that might not have made the final cut. And in the process of writing our book, that was one of the things we spent a lot of time on. And now, like, honestly... I really, really like the second movie. Aww. Thank you so much. That's so sweet of you to say. No, I, I'm I'm pretty honest. I would tell you if that wasn't the case as well. Um, so she would. But <laughs> well, Cormac, Marianne, thank you again so much for joining us. You are welcome back here on National Treasure Hunt, literally anytime. And our fingers are so crossed for good news about season yes. two. Uh, thank, thank you so you much. You guys are the greatest. Thank yeah, you so much for everything best. you do. Oh my God. Okay, I know. Thank oh my you. God, you're the best. <laughs> you're the best. Thank you. Thank you. This is good therapy for us. Yeah. <laughs> Our pleasure. <laughs> Dang, I cannot believe how much backstory was there for Edge of History that we just did not know before. I, it just, this is something that I'm starting to realize, like, I've always complained, or mentally at least, about when people want to put out like four-hour cuts of a movie <laughs> or something like that. Because I'm like, how much of that content is really important? And the more that I learn about National Treasure 2, the more that I've learned about this show, National Treasure Edge of History, I just feel like... We could definitely use some extended cuts of all of these things. I mean, I understand not everything was even filmed, mm -hmm. but I don't know. I just feel like now I understand why all that backstory is important. And it's really, really interesting to see what gets cut mm -hmm. and what doesn't. And then what remains even if you know part of that plot point gets cut oh my gosh it's so interesting and marianne and cormac are ah oh, just such lovely people mm -hmm. it's really no surprise that when we put out our last episode with them we got so many comments from listeners being like they sound incredible i love them and we're like yes yeah, same <laughs> yes you know we do as well and speaking of people we love you got to learn a little bit more about your boy justin bartha Yes. Oh my gosh. I was so excited to ask all the Justin related questions that I had. Um, I think honestly, my favorite part has to be learning that Justin ad lib some of mm. his lines when he was kind of like trying to be Ben in the various scenes that we saw him yeah. in, in his episode. Um, it just, it, it spoke to how in touch he was with the character even to this day and how how much care he brings to it that he wanted to kind of take that on and be like i think we should go the extra mile and do this type of thing oh mm -hmm. i just love it what was your favorite part aubrey it's really hard to pick one um but i really enjoyed learning about this like relationship that once existed between billy and maddox i really was like my brain exploded. I was like, this rando guy that like seems to have no place in this show and easily could have just not appeared at all is like in another version of this show, he could have been totally central to our understanding of this villain, the Billy character, who we mm -hmm. are really fascinated by. And honestly, I found it really satisfying to learn that story. And I was a little proud of myself because I feel like liking that specific element of this interview is a very Emily thing. There's a relationship to be liked here. 
I I'm so proud of you, Aubrey. Everyone, I mean, I it it's taken me six seasons to get her here, but <laughs> I've finally gotten her to the point where she cares even slightly, even tangentially about romance. Well, it's mostly because I just don't never understood this character, the the bearded man, but now I feel like I do. So we want to thank the Wibberleys once again for joining us and shedding all of this incredible light on their wonderful creation that is National Treasure Edge of History Season 1. Um, feel free to let us know what your favorite revelation from this interview was. Yes, so you can let us know on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. If for some reason you have gotten all the way through this episode and you have not yet seen <laughs> Edge of History, please go check it out. Uh, it's streaming now, all episodes on Disney+. Plus. Um, and then if you want to support us even further, go ahead and order our book, which is now available. Oh, please do. It would make us so, so happy. And hey... We're also happy that you're here listening to us. We have a new episode coming your way very, very soon. And you just never know these days when we're going to put out a bonus episode. So be sure to hit that subscribe button. And we'll see you next time. Until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our National Treasure Hunt. (laughs) 